there, it is the EP Podcast. I am Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. Catch me each and every day, mostly, asterisk there. Did miss a couple days recently, but mostly every day right here on the EP Podcast. You can get it uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Simply Google Austin Horton EP Podcast and you'll find it there anywhere, but you'll find it on Google Podcasts, iTunes, iHeart, TuneIn, 1280thezone.com, Zone Sports Network app, Wherever you find Spotify, wherever you find your favorite listening features, you will find the EP podcast. It is an acoustic Wednesday, and I've got a really cool selection coming up in a few short moments uh, to to share with you. We got to talk some Donovan Mitchell. We got to talk NASCAR. We need to talk about uh, the worst owner in baseball as of right now doing crazy, awful, weird things and baseball in general. What's the latest with the Major League Baseball drama and situation? But as we do each and every day, we start with this day in sports history. And today being June 24th, there were a lot of cool things that happened this day in sports history, including the NBA draft in 1992. Two of the greatest centers in NBA history were selected that day at Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Portland, Oregon. The Magic took Shaquille O'Neal with the first overall pick. The Charlotte Hornets took Georgetown center Alonzo Mourning with the second pick. June 24th, 2004, the NBA draft was held at Madison Square Garden. Of course, you know that that draft uh, saw the Magic also select first overall, and they took Dwight Howard. 2007, Oregon State beat North Carolina 9-3 at Omaha's Rosenblatt Stadium to win its second straight College World Series. And in 2010, June 24th, John Isner beat Nicholas Mahout in the first round of Wimbledon by a final score of 6-4-3-6-6-7-7-6-70-68 for a total of 183 games played over three days at 11, at 11 hours rather and five minutes. It was the longest tennis match in history. And June 24th, 1922, the American Professional Football Association changed its name to the National Football League. There you go. That's June 24th, this day in sports history. Okay, I want to start with some Donovan Mitchell news, and it's not great news. It's not inspiring news. In fact, maybe it's not even news, but it is a Donovan Mitchell topic. And I, I want to quote this first, or pre-proceed, pre, uh, what's the preface this, I should say, with the knowledge that I have no knowledge. I have no insight. I have no inside information. I'm just calling the shots based on the information that I see reported publicly. And what I see reported publicly is that the New York Knicks are doing a lot of different things to try and change their organization and make it more welcoming, make it more enticing, make it more of the draw it should have and always should be there at Madison Square Garden to free agents and other coaches, players, whatever, fans, uh, TV deals. They are trying to rewrite the ship or write the ship, I should say, there in New York. Now... Who grew up a big-time New York Knicks fan going to the stadium, loving the Knicks, loving everything to do with Madison Square Garden and the Knickerbockers? One, Donovan Mitchell. A lot of Jazz fans are still snake-bitten, or whatever you want to call it, from Donovan, or excuse me, Gordon Hayward's departure for Boston when his former college coach made it to the NBA at the first chance Gordon Hayward had to leave. He did so. 
leaving the Jazz in the lurch, giving them really no clear, crystallized heads up that he'd be out. And luckily for the Jazz, they drafted Donovan Mitchell a few days before that happened, and they've been pretty much fine uh, ever since. But a lot of Jazz fans use that as as reason to doubt whether or not Donovan Mitchell is going to be with the Jazz long term. Now we know for sure that Donovan Mitchell is it will be in a Jazz uniform for at least a total of seven seasons because that's, you know, he'll get his, he's got his rookie contract still going on. He'll get the qualifying offer from the Jazz, the extension. Uh, I believe this coming off season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and uh, he, he will uh, be with the Jazz at least through 21-22. He will be a restricted free agent then uh, in the 22, well, technically the 21 offseason, but they're going to give him their, that qualifying offer. So you're going to see Donovan Mitchell with the Utah Jazz for one, two, three, four, five, six seasons, I believe, if not seven and then he'll enter uh, unrestricted free agency for the first time in his career. Now, at that point, between now and then, the Jazz got to make a decision on Rudy Gobert. How much is he worth? How much are they willing to pay him? How integral is he in not only the championship hopes, but the hopes of retaining guys like Donovan Mitchell on the roster? And again, the caveat here, this is not news. This is not insider information. This, there, there's no rumblings other than what I'm seeing reported And what's been reported is the New York Knicks have made a couple moves that Donovan Mitchell has been publicly vocal in favor of, including the hiring of Leon Rose. Now, now, before we get into the move, the specific moves that that the Knicks have made, uh, Donovan Mitchell, his agent, Ty Sullivan, is part of the creative arts agency uh, for sports and actors and all kinds of celebrities. And... Who else was big time in that CAA management? None other than Leon Rose. And the New York Knicks, uh, back in March, made Leon Rose their new president. And Donovan Mitchell told Ian Begley of SNY.TV that day that uh, he's in favor of those moves, of that move. He said, you've got to think with Leon coming in, who I know personally, I think things are going to trend upward. I love Leon to death. Uh, it says here he's represented by Ty Sullivan of CAA. Rose is formerly the co-head of CAA's basketball division. So he and Mitchell, who made sure to point out that he's an ex-Knicks fan, know each other well. He's a great dude, great person, Mitchell said of Rose. And he's a really good businessman. So for him, I think things are going in the right direction. Uh, he Donovan went on to say, Uh, I just think from the time that I've known him, obviously we're from the same agency, that he's just a guy who is charismatic, cares about, not to say that other team presidents didn't care, but he's a guy that cares, understands the game, understands relationships. He has a lot of relationships throughout this league. So many people around this league. He's been around the game for a while, so so he knows how to do things. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. Uh, And that was pretty much... And then he went on to praise player like uh, Frank Natilakina. Uh, That's not how you pronounce his last name. I can't pronounce his last name. But anywho, that was back in March. Well, today, the New York Knicks doubled down on the CAA uh, acquisitions when they named William Wesley as executive vice president and senior advisor. And who is William Wesley, also known as Worldwide Wes? 
he comes over from, as, as I just mentioned, being uh, with CAA. He was a consultant in the coaching division over there for 13 years and has a long professional and personal relationship with the new Knicks president, Leon Rose. Couple all that with the fact that jazz fans are going after, well, not necessarily jazz fans, but people mostly from uh, Utah on social media are sending uh, not not necessarily hate mail, but uh, contradictory comments to Donovan on his social media timelines about Black Lives Matter and his support for that movement, uh, and it's and and with the reported. Uh, relationship issue that Donovan and Rudy went through. There's a lot of drama underneath the surface in the NBA, and it's no different here in Utah. I guess that's my overall point is I don't know for certain if if this smoke is a fire that is anywhere near Donovan Mitchell and his future. I don't know if he's going to stay with the Jazz forever. I can tell you my hope is that he does. Uh, as I said recently on several po- different episodes of this podcast, I think he is the uh, integral key cog to the Jazz hopes of having an NBA championship in the next five, six, ten years. Uh, If he leaves, everything changes. But they have him for some time still going forward. I just wanted to talk about how we saw a few of these signs the last time a big-time star was here with the Utah Jazz and Gordon Hayward. There was some rumblings. There was some rumors. There was some reports. There was... Uh, Brad Stevens and him going to dinner. There was Brad Stevens talking about Gordon Hayward glowingly about him as a basketball player and Gordon Hayward talking glowingly about Brad Stevens as a basketball coach. And, of course, we know about uh, Gordon Hayward's wife posting pictures of their kids in quote-unquote Celtics gear and claiming it was just St. Patrick's Day garb. Uh, You know, that may or may not be true. I choose to believe it's not true, but, hey, uh, I, I meaning I, I don't think it was just St. Patrick's Day garb, but there was enough smoke I think then along the line along the way to see that Gordon Hayward was possibly at least leaning towards leaving. This time around, I don't want to be caught off guard, and I'm just speaking for me. I'm not speaking for the Jazz. I'm not speaking for the Zone. I'm just speaking for me as a Jazz fan. I was caught off guard last time. I swallowed the whole PR spin that Gordon Hayward's camp put out there about how much he loved the Utah Jazz and wanted to be here forever. And Well, actually, he never actually said that, but he never gave any other hint that he'd be leaving either, leaving the Jazz in the lurch. I swallowed the hole that he would be coming back, and he wasn't. He was gone. Now, the good things that are going for Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz here, well, here, here's so they've got the CAA uh, pipeline going to New York. So you got Leon Rose, check. Donovan's uh, uh, agent, Ty Sullivan, check. You've got the, the the newest guy, this William Wesley, check. You've got Donovan Mitchell's approval of what's going on with the New York Knicks, check. It's closer to his home, check. Closer to his friends and family, check. You've got the quote unquote bigger proverbial lights of New York, check. But you've also got James Dolan, no check. You also don't have Quinn Snyder or any real coach to to write home about, no check. Will he win with the New York Knicks compared to with the Utah Jazz? I don't think so. No check there. And of course, the Jazz can pay him a lot more money. No check there for the New York Knicks. So, Jazz fans, relax. Donovan Mitchell, he's been able to 
become a big time star in the NBA, albeit in a so-called small market here in Salt Lake City already. He's got his shoe deal. He's got his prowess. He's got his star shining bright. And as he continues to play, that star should get even brighter and bigger. And I think the Jazz have a great chance of having him here for a long, long time. I just wanted to say there is enough smoke here to at least mention it and keep it on your whiteboard of things to check back on as that day long in the future continues to approach hour by hour. All right, so there you go. That's stop one here on a June 24th edition of the EP podcast. Hopefully that didn't cause too many people to hit the panic button. This Bubba Wallace story is fascinating. Uh, you know that he uh, he's an African-American driver in NASCAR. Uh, I, I believe the only top-tier uh, NASCAR African-American driver. And he, of course, drove the Black Lives Matter car a few races ago. Well, this few days ago, he was in Talladega. I believe he took fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's 15th. Uh, but anyway, uh, before that... He found, it was reported that someone on his team found a noose hanging in his garage at the track. You then saw the display of the NASCAR drivers and pit crews all uh, in, in solidarity pushing Bubba Wallace's car to the start position for Talladega. Well, the FBI did a full investigation into the noose, and it turns out that it was a rope for uh, on the bottom of a garage as a pull-down rope that you see in every single mechanics and probably home garage in the world. However, the bottom of that rope was indeed fashioned like a noose. Before we go on with this story and, and a little bit of reaction, here's Bubba Wallace on Good Morning America talking about the FBI's findings. Bubba, to, to be clear here, it sounds like you don't think that this passes the smell test. It sounds like you're still fairly convinced that, that what was in that garage stall wasn't a rope pull, but it was a noose, and it was designed to, to intimidate or make a statement. Is that what you still believe? It was a, it was a rope pull for, for the garage door. It was attached. The, the image you see of where it was cut, that's exactly what it was. But it was definitely in the shape of a noose. It wasn't a functioning noose. I talked to the FBI the, the two conversations I had with the FBI, which I never thought I'd talk to the FBI in my lifetime, so, hey, there's always something new. Um, they uh, they said the first one was right after the race and said they're going to do everything in their power to figure it out, and they'll be in contact. And then the second conversation was the final one to where they gave me the lowdown of all the investigation and research they, they, had, they have completed and found out that, um, that it was a garage pool, but... It, in fact, was a noose. It was not a functioning noose, but it, it, it was a noose. And whoever had the time to create that and, and tie it up like that, just they were they were skeptical about it. And, um, you know, and the FBI says that types, those types of things. And I, and I told them, I had questioned my, my team members, are we sure that this isn't um, something that we're kind of taking out of context? And they backed my team up and reiterated that, if, if you were to see this uh, at this time, you would stand with your team right now of why they were so alerted. I can't blame Bubba Wallace for one second, one half second, one iota second in this matter. He is a black man in a predominantly white, predominantly traditionally racist uh, organization, NASCAR, uh, that was championing the Confederate battle flag until just days ago. 
Now, he, he, he's caused real change there and for the better. But with the current temperature in our society and our country when it comes to race relations and injustices, I cannot blame anybody in Bubba Wallace's crew or Bubba Wallace himself for having the reaction they did and calling in on the authorities to do an investigation and make sure. Uh, I, 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 and I don't have any blame for Bubba's, uh, what appears to be his hesitancy to say this was not a hate crime against me. The FBI says it wasn't a hate crime. They say that that noose uh, was a rope that was placed there at, at the very latest last October or September of last year, if not prior to that, and had been in that garage for at least that, that amount of time. So they say this was not directed at Bubba Wallace. I don't blame Bubba Wallace for balking at that. I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, but I'm also not always completely 100% believe every syllable the government tells you guy. But in this case, I'm a white man. Bubba Wallace is a black man. I cannot and will not and should not blame him one iota for any kind of uh, fear. I don't want to use the word fear, but hesitancy or uh, uh, how about aggravation that he has felt in regards to this incident. However, there are a lot of people that think that it looks awfully convenient for this to have happened. Was it, was it a cover-up? Was it a, a conspiracy? Was it a play for more publicity? I say no. There are those out there that say, yes, I'm a cynic. I'm not that cynical. Where I am a little cynical is perhaps the game of telephone and the rumor mill could have slowed down just a bit, got this investigation uh, underway before reporting that it was absolutely a noose hanging from Bubba Wallace's garage. Again, not blaming Bubba Wallace or his crew and not necessarily blaming NASCAR, but blaming somebody who spoke to someone who then told a reporter and it turned into a false uh, report. Uh, the best news of all, though, is that this was not a hate crime. So the good, not a hate crime. Bad, everybody immediately thought it was a hate crime. And that's the reality of our world that we're living in right now when it comes to race relations and injustices. It's going to get it's going to get heated and scary at times and, and uh, it's unnerving. Another good, the unifying moment that we got to see and experience as all those crews walked his car to the starting line. The bad, it took a bad thing like this to have that happen. Yes, it's good that NASCAR is coming together. Yes, it's good that they're standing up against racism. Yes, it's good that they're banishing the Confederate battle flag. But why did it take so stinking long? And why did it take a report of a noose hanging in Bubba Wallace's garage for all of NASCAR to get behind him and walk him to the starting line? The overall good. Uh, the message was sent and received regarding the Black Lives Matter and the, the riddance of race inequality and racism itself in and amongst and around NASCAR. The bad, there are a lot of people that are dismissing that good message, though, because it turned out it wasn't a hate crime. And I, I don't agree with those people, but they're out there. The conclusion, this whole thing about Black Lives Matter and bringing uh, an end to racial inequality in this country and, and the world, frankly, the, the stark reality is it's a good fight, but it's a fight one person at a time. Uh, and we have to keep at it. 
Don't get frustrated. Don't give up. Just because this was not a noose fashioned to send a message of hate and racism towards Bubba Wallace specifically, or anyone even. Maybe it was just some person got bored years ago or months ago and fashioned a rope into a noose, whatever. Uh, It was a pretty silly and dumb thing to be doing, but maybe they didn't mean anything by it at all. But just because one plus one did not equal two in this case does not mean you roll your eyes and go, see, too big of a deal being made about this. No. The good news is it was not a hate crime, and we can move forward from there one story, one day, one person at a time as we try to continue to end the reign of racism and prejudice in our world and in our lives. So, Bubba Wallace, I stand with you, buddy. Uh, I, I, as your crew chief told you at the start of Tal- Talladega, continue to go out there and shut the haters up. All right, a couple baseball things real quick here. The Houston Astros owner, Jim Crane, is quickly becoming my least favorite owner in all of sports. Uh, if you If you missed it, he was the guy who did pretty much nothing to stop the Astros cheating scandal and then after was caught tried to do all these things to say oh we will not stand for this blah 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 except for call out the players and cut them and and whatever you know he he made a scapegoat with the coach and the general manager and then tried to skate on by said that they cheated then when he was asked hey did you say you cheated he said no we didn't say we cheated no he absolutely literally said that they had cheated well now he's doing this thing where he is opening his stadium once baseball returns there in Houston because, quote, they can't not they can't deal without the revenue that would come from those games. This from Chandler Rome in Houston. Astros owner Jim Crane said, quote, the only thing we have to do that can counter the team's revenue losses is get some people in the building and sell some tickets, some merchandise, some cold beer, whatever they'd like to have. Julia Morales continued, Astros owner Jim Crane on if fans will be allowed a minute in the Maid Park. Quote, that's the plan. We still have to go through the player protocol. We're still focused on that. I think the intent at some point is to get the fans in the ballpark. Close quote. Here's where I stand on this. This should not be allowed. You should not be allowed mass thousands gatherings. Mass gatherings of thousands is how I should say that in baseball stadiums or any stadiums right now. There is not enough of a hold around the the coronavirus pandemic to be doing that. I frankly struggle on whether or not there's enough of a hold to be holding any sporting events, even without crowds. But I certainly know I stand where I stand on this. And Jim Crane is a greedy, money-grubbing, disgusting billionaire who uh, needs to be uh, sent to an island someplace and have someone of sane brain own that baseball team in Houston. As an Angels fan, I hope he runs that organization right into the ground. Now, that being said, I just wanted to share you with you our last stop today, the timeline of Major League Baseball and its negotiations with its Players Association. As they came to an agreement last night that we're going to see baseball 60-game regular season schedule from July to the end of September. And here's how this timeline went. Back on March 12th, Major League Baseball announced a suspension of spring training and that uh, they, they were going to be pushing back opening day until at least mid-May because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, on March 26th, which was supposed to have been opening day, they announced that the MLB and the Players Association had come to an agreement on pro, full prorated salaries 
for the uh, Major League Baseball season based on how many games actually were played. Fast forward then to April 7th, and they start talking about contingency plans, including big gatherings in Arizona and or Florida, where uh, teams would would be in sort of like a bubble situation like the NBA is doing in Orlando and play all their games there. May 16th, uh, the health protocol uh, detail was released and sent to all the players. May 26th, the owners decided to make changes to the agreement that they had signed with the players two months to the day prior, and they send out an 82-game schedule uh, proposal to the Major League Baseball Players Association with different salary payment than had been agreed upon. Five days later, May 31st, the Players Association uh, counteroffers, they give 114 game schedule suggested back to Major League Baseball with the full pro-rated salary that they had agreed on. June 8, MLB uh, responds, offers 76 games at 75% pro-rated salary. June 9th, the Players Association says, no, how about 89 games and still full pro-rated salary. June 10th, Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Baseball, goes on ESPN and says he's 100% certain there will be a season. Five, uh, that's June 10th. June 12th, Major League Baseball then offers the players 72 games and 80% prorated salary. And on June 15th, five days after the 100% we will have a season comment, Rob Manfred says he's not so sure there will be a season after all. June 17th, he and Tony Clark meet. He goes to the reporters and says we have a framework, framework in place for a deal. Tony Clark responds with, no, it was just a proposal, to which the players on June 18th send in a 70-game full prorated salary offer to Major League Baseball. June 19th, baseball decides closing down all facilities because of the pandemic. June 22nd, two days ago, Major League Baseball rejects the, uh, the Players Association offer of 70 games and agrees to the March agreement with a 60-game schedule, full prorated salary. The Major League Baseball Players Association agreed to and ratified that agreement yesterday. It appears that July 1st will be the open of training camps. Opening day will take place between the 24th and 31st of July, some point in there. And the regular season will come to a close at the end of September with a potential Game 7 of the World Series happening no later than October 28th. This is good news. We're going to see baseball played. This is really bad news for a full season next year, pandemic or no, and going forward beyond that, as the Players Association and Major League Baseball are absolutely, make no bones or mistakes about it, at war with one another. All right, it is an acoustic Wednesday here on the EP podcast. And today's selection, I just happened upon this uh, on YouTube. This is an incredibly gifted artist. She sings, she plays guitar, she plays the piano, she plays the drums. She plays a lot of different instruments, and I can't decide which she does best out of all of those things. But what she does really well is take two different songs usually from a long time ago, matched up with a song from more recent history, mashes them together, and does a live loop. Now, if you're not familiar with live loop, I'm going to walk you through it as she as she plays it. Uh, you'll hear me pipe in here and there during the set, during the song. 
but there's this machine that you typically push your foot down on or hit a button on the keyboard. It seems to me that she's got a producer that's looping it for her. But anyway, she plays these instruments live, plays a, you know, a few measures of it, and then it repeats, and she puts the instrument down, and it repeats the whole song. And so anyway, her name is Elise, either True or Trow, uh, T-R-O-U-W, Elise Trow. I'm gonna, I think it's Trow. Uh, this is a cover mashup of one of my favorite bands and favorite songs ever of all time, ever long, from Foo Fighters, mashed up with Bobby Caldwell's What I Would Not Do For Love. I think, is that the name of it? What I or what you would not do for love? Uh, it is What You Won't Do For Love. So here you go, Elise Trow, and uh, a mashup of Everlong and What You Won't Do For Love on an Acoustic Wednesday. So she starts out on, on the sixth string with the, the riff here from Foo Fighters Everlong. Now she's putting down the sixth string that's on that loop. Picking up the bass, here comes the bass. That's it for the bass. <laughs> Pretty easy bass. Sitting down at the uh, microphone and the keyboard now. I guess you wonder where I've been. I search to find a love within. I came back to let you know. Got a thing for you. drum set now. You want to do for love. You drum sticks down. But you don't give up. Back to the keyboard. In my world, only you made me do for love what I would not do. My friends wonder what is wrong with me.
things I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't decide what uh, what skills she's best at. The, the singing, the guitar, the bass, the drums, the keyboard. Take your pick, man. Beautiful stuff there. Uh, the, the woman's name is Elise Trow, or True, T-R-O-U-W. Elise, E-L-I-S-E, last name T-R-O-U-W, Elise Trow. Unbelievable. Find her on YouTube and uh, check out her stuff. There's a lot of that uh, looping uh, kind of features, but she's also got some originals and just straight covers that she's got up there. And boy, she is talented, that is for sure. That's going to do it for an EP podcast here on Wednesday, June 24th. We'll come back tomorrow with a throwaway Thursday do not miss it. Tune in for that. I'm Austin Horton. Until then, be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> Coach, good to see you. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I just uh, didn't know about all this extra stuff that went with being the head guy. It's a lot more to it than just the coaching. I hear you, brother. I even had to learn how to dress the part. <laughs> the smartest thing I did is found Mr. Mac right at the beginning. They make you look great. Coach, how's it going so far? Well, it's going pretty good. Uh, I just didn't know if I was ready for all this extra head coach stuff. There's no way to be ready for it, and there's a lot more to it than just coaching. I hear you, brother. I even had to learn how to look the part. Too far apart again? Let me get closer. Coach, how's it going so far? I'm doing pretty good. I don't know if I was ready for all this extra head coach guy stuff. There's no way to be ready for it. Uh, a lot more to it than coaching. I hear you, brother. I am uh, even had to learn how to dress the part. <laughs> Best thing I did is found Mr. Mack. At least they make us look good. <laughs> Rookies, Mr. Mack has ba been making me look... Rookies, Mr. Mack has been making me look like a winner for 40 years. <laughs> Rookies, Mr. Mack has been making me look like a winner for 40 years.